Dear Christian friends, family is the worst. Family is the best. I am not asking you to take sides, to agree or disagree with me, or to express your opinion. I'm actually making the assessment based on my 12 years here of conversations and counseling. And I would have to conclude that both of those statements are true. For some of you, I have spoken with and you have shared with me the frustration that comes from being a part of a family when there is bickering, when there is poor communication, when there is a lack of forgiveness within family. It can seem as if it's the worst. And then there are other moments where you will staunchly come to the defense of your family when somebody else is attacking them or has a word of ill will to speak to them. And suddenly family is the best. In fact, I, I think we kind of capture this because we don't really have to explain ourselves when, when we justify a, a course of action or a decision that we make. Sometimes we'll just go so far as saying, well, you know, it's just family. And that really doesn't require an explanation because we get it when somebody says that. We get and we understand that bond that is unique, that is family. As I mentioned in the message this morning for the children, that, that we are blessed because that bond for you and for me goes beyond just blood and DNA. In fact, some would even agree with me that, that the bonds that, that you share, the, the family that you have here, those gathered with you here, and, and of course, throughout the Holy Christian Church all over the world, are even, are even stronger for some of you than the bonds of your earthly family. Well, that's really what Paul is, is capturing as he writes to the Galatians and we continue focusing on the joy of the freedom of faith which allows us then to be free to be family. And we rejoice in that truth as, as Paul reminded us. He says that you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is a bond that we enjoy, a family that goes beyond just sharing a home or a roof over our heads. A family that is bound together through faith in Christ Jesus. Look around and you see these are your brothers and sisters. This is your family. And didn't Jesus echo that same truth? As he was teaching the crowds and and some came to him and, and pointed out that his family members were waiting for him to, to wrap it up. This is how Jesus responded to them. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now think about that, that for a moment because Jesus had a unique opportunity here. He knew that people were calling on him to, to draw him to his earthly family. He could have spoken up and championed 
with a, a speech that would have rivaled something out of the Godfather series of how important family is. There's, there's no stronger bond. There is no greater connection than your family who looks out for each other. But Jesus went a different direction. He said, no, don't focus just on, on the brothers, the sister, the mother, the father that, that you were blessed with to, to raise you and to grow together with. But, but your family goes beyond that. Your family is made up of all of those who by God's grace have, have heard his word and through the Holy Spirit their eyes have been opened to see Jesus as their Savior. And by faith you have been brought into that family. And what a blessing upon blessing that, that through baptism, and we'll talk more about this, that, that God brings us into His family, and yet He doesn't just say that we're in this one-on-one -on -one relationship with Him. By virtue of the fact that we've all been brought collectively into that family, that makes us family. Paul pointed out how that, that started, that, that process that, that God uses to bring, to draw everybody into His family. He started out by saying, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. This is the older NIV translation. Locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ or to serve as a guardian that we might be justified by faith. Now you catch those phrases that Paul uses, that, that the law serves as a custodian, a, a guardian that we are, are held in, in custody or in prison, in a sense. And they aren't probably terms that, that we would choose to use, and yet we recognize the benefit of such terms, don't we? When you think back to your own childhood, or as the roles have flipped and now you are a parent raising children, you kind of grasp exactly what Paul is pointing out. The law, discipline, serves a purpose, doesn't it? Well, that's how we correct, that's how we train, that's how we raise up the next generation. We send them to their room with a, a stern, go to your room. We put them in time out. That's the law that, that Paul is talking about that serves as a, a guardian for us. It serves a good and a holy purpose. Sadly, we also recognize what happens when, when that law, that discipline, is not applied in raising the next generation? And perhaps even more and more as we look around in, in our society today. Uh, just this past week, a conversation uh, was relayed. Somebody overheard in, in an office space a conversation between an editor who was talking with her younger uh, employee who had just submitted an article. And so the editor came by her office space, by her cubicle, and was just reviewing what had been submitted to edit it and make corrections and suggestions for it. Well, as patient and gentle as this editor was being to this young writer who this, this individual supposed was probably in her 20s, she couldn't get past the fact that the editor was pointing out the word hamster doesn't have a P in it. And this young gal, she just kept saying, but it doesn't matter. I've always spelled it that way and it's never been a problem. So it's not wrong. It's never been an issue before. Why is it an issue now? And as much patience as this editor exuded and, and demonstrated, 
It never sank in. Well, eventually that conversation ended, and this young writer, when the editor had walked away, proceeded then to call her mother on her cell phone and to put the phone on speaker so that everybody could hear the conversation as she complained about how her boss had mistreated her for not allowing her to spell hamster that way, among other things. And I don't think I probably have to explain to you whose side the mother took if you have somebody that is that jaded in terms of receiving correction or somebody trying to provide helpful advice. My guess is that there wasn't a whole lot of discipline or correction in that home that would lead to this young adult struggling to see that she could possibly be wrong. The law serves a purpose. And that's Paul's point. It serves a purpose. And we are thankful that it does serve the purpose and that it's not the end result or the end thing. That God has not given us His law as a means to get right with Him, but it does serve the purpose of leading us to the greater good. As Paul continues, when he speaks about this law, he says it does have a purpose. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now that faith has come. That was the purpose of the law. Don't be surprised that the world thinks that grace is not so amazing. Don't be so shocked or hang your head in frustration that the world doesn't see Jesus the way you do or appreciate the good news of the gospel and forgiveness. Why would it? Less and less does the world know the law of which Paul is speaking. And you realize God's holy, good, and perfect purposes for His law, if that law goes unheard, then it is going to basically undermine the Savior that we have. Because you know how essential, how important that law is to paint us in a corner, to clarify for us that without some other outlet, without some other solution, we are dead in the water, we are hopeless, our situation, well, that the law makes that clear. That our sin has absolutely obliterated any opportunity for us to have a relationship with God. And if the world hasn't heard that law, doesn't know it, doesn't care about it, then it can't know how cut off our sin is from God and how separated we are from Him. The law serves a very important purpose. And that purpose is to, to lead us to recognize there must be another solution. And that's where grace and the gospel come in. That's where faith which Paul speaks of, is so essential. And, and yet faith will be of no value. Faith will be futile. Salvation will be senseless if the law doesn't first do its work and point out to us how hopeless our situation is. But when it has done that, when it has carried out that role, then God is ready to sow the seeds of the gospel into our hearts. And as Paul pointed out, we know the results of that. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
We're sons of God, not through the law that was a guardian for a time, that held us in custody, that that ensured a, a certain way of living until the gospel would be revealed. But now that that gospel has been revealed, faith takes over, and it is faith that brings us into the family of God. It is faith in Jesus that makes us sons and daughters. And Paul even points out one of the ways by which that faith is granted. It says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What a treasure our baptism is to be clothed with Christ in our baptism. You've seen schools that, that prescribe and, and have as their dress code a, a school uniform so that everybody looks the same and, and for various reasons so that, that, that students don't have to, to be concerned about what's appropriate to wear and what's not appropriate to wear. And, and they look the same, don't they? We, we too wear a, a uniform, so to speak. Christ's robe of righteousness. His holiness, His perfection, His ability to keep the law perfectly for us. That's what God drapes over us and covers us with in our baptism. You're probably you're familiar with the term maverick. Maverick is somebody that just kind of does his own thing, somebody who's, who's stubborn, who's, who's not going to be stifled or kept by rules, or he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Do you know the, the etymology? Do you know where that root word came from, maverick? Samuel Maverick was a, a landowner and a cattle owner in Texas. And Samuel Maverick had this practice when everybody else took the time to brand their cattle, he chose not to. Now there's different speculation as to why he didn't. Some would say that he didn't brand his cattle so that he could claim any unbranded cattle as his own. Others say that he just didn't care about branding them, that that cattle was not something he was more concerned in land and real estate. And so if he lost some cattle by those who, who by law could take any unbranded cattle and put their own brand on it and make it their own. And so a, a maverick was this, this cattle that was unbranded that, that somebody could take. It was out in the wild on its own. And really, each and every one of us by nature, that's what we are. We're spiritual mavericks. We go out on our own, but we don't realize how lost we are. And that God in His grace, in baptism... He has taken us and He has branded us. He has called us into His family. He has put His sign and His seal on us that His grace covers us. No longer are we we mavericks, but we are, are brought into the family of God. And what a blessing it is for us to have this family of faith. That God doesn't just say, look, I've called you into this relationship. That He doesn't arbitrarily use this imagery, this picture of family, because there were no better options. He knows how meaningful family is to us. And so even when you might struggle in your own family to forgive, this place, Christ's church, the local congregation, this should be the place where we don't judge, but rather 
we forgive. This ought to be the place where we can be open and we can be transparent and we can share our fears and our struggles because we know that my brothers and sisters in Christ long to share with me the comfort and the confidence of the forgiveness and joy that we have in Jesus. This should be our calling card to ooze grace into each other's life. This should be the place where we support and encourage and build up and are simply there for each other. This should be the place where we pray for one another, where we bear each other's burdens because we are God's family. And grace and forgiveness, those are our calling cards. Now we also have to, to be careful because we know from experience that, that being a part of a family can also have its, its drawbacks potentially because the very blessing of that bond and that unity that we share as a family sometimes can lead us to treat others who aren't of our family differently, to ostracize, to be indifferent, to, to not care about others because, well, they're not family. And, of course, that would be the last thing that we would want in, in this family, in, in Christ's church. And, and if we're not careful, if we don't take that warning seriously, sometimes we may fail to recognize that actually it's, it's our love for, our devotion for, our care and concern for each other that sometimes to the outside world comes across as clickish, as selfish, as uncaring about anybody else. And maybe we have to acknowledge that sometimes we are guilty of that. That, that certain people don't fit the mold and, and we're not really comfortable with them in our family. We don't really want them to have a place at the table because, well, they don't look like us, speak like us, think like us. They don't share the same political views as us. They're, they're different, so they can find a different family than ours. But really, that, that's quite a, a silly way of thinking, isn't it? Or, or to be afraid of, of growing too big as a family because then maybe somehow we'll lose our closeness or our bond. Because think of what happens in your own family, the, the blood family, the DNA family, anytime there is a new addition to your family. Whether it is a son or a daughter born, whether it's a, a grandchild that's born, whether it's a, a son or a daughter-in-law who is added and brought into the family through marriage, you rejoice. We celebrate. That is a good thing. Not a regrettable thing. That is a blessing. And you know that it's no different when it comes to our family of faith as well. That every time somebody stands up here and makes their profession of faith, we're thrilled. We're absolutely ecstatic to have another person added to the family. Now what that means is perhaps that we want to shift how we view our own role in God's family. And I want you this morning as, as you leave worship and as you continue to, to ponder and think about this blessing of being in God's family to ask yourself some questions. Are you, are you making the most 
of your family of faith? And to turn it around, are you giving as much? Are you putting as much as you can into your family of faith? Or are we going through the motions? Do we say what we think others need to hear and we'll show up once a week, go out the door, but other than that, not really be interested in our faith family? And then, to consider whether or not we really want the Great Commission to involve each of us recognizing that that what God is really calling us to do is to set a place at the table for those who aren't yet a part of our family. And that doesn't really mean any extra work. It's not an extra program. It's not some extra uh, thing that we need to start or to implement. It simply means this. Looking at each and every day of your life and seeing each and every individual as a potential addition to the family, to God's family to your family, to the faith family. But you better be careful because if, if we get too good at that, if, if we get too focused on, on God's family growing, well, we might need a bigger house. Wouldn't that be a neat problem to have? Amen.